Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. I just want to welcome everybody this morning and thank you for those who are watching online. And I hope that uh, today will be a blessed day for you. As you know that we have been reflecting on the exhortation given to the children of God in the plains of Moab by God through Moses, just prior to them crossing over to possess the promised land. We looked at verses 1 and 3 and we learned that there were two instructions that were given to them. Number one is to fear the Lord and number two is to keep all His statutes and commandments why? Because they may be, the days may be prolonged and it would be well with them. Now, this timeless principle applies to us too. And as children of God who have just come out of 2020 and entered into 2021 with apprehension and fear and uncertainty because of the pandemic, we too could personalize this promise, which certainly give us, gives us great hopes. Now, we, so we began with... I, me, and myself, I said on the very first day. So as individuals, we should have the fear of God and should obey His commands. That's the first lesson that we learned, so that our days may be prolonged and it would be well with us. Now, Sunday before last, we spent some time understanding the word Shema, or here in verse number 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, Shema is the centerpiece of the daily morning and evening prayers and is considered the most essential prayer in all of Judaism. In Hebrew, Shema does not simply mean hear, but also listening and taking heed and responding with action to what has been heard. So last time we said that for us to reap this benefit, not only as individuals that we must have the fear of God and obey His commands, but our home too, we looked at last time, that we must be a house of prayer. That's what we looked at last time. And we examine a psalm, a psalm of David, Psalm 86, and we try to answer the question, how should we pray? And we learn that a prayer should be, we should pray earnestly, we should pray continually, and we should pray thankfully, and we should pray in faith. So that's the lesson that we learned last time from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So today we'll examine the rest of verses 4 and 5. And as you look at the screen, let me read verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, church, just as it is important that our children see our prayer life, they must also see who our God is, what we are expected to do to love Him. That's what you see in this verse. So today, the, in essence, we are going to learn that our home should not only be a house of prayer, but also a house of love, a house of passion. 
So let us break it down. There are two issues mentioned in these verses. In verse number four, firstly, it's your most, the topmost priority. That's what they're saying in verse number four. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And in verse five, secondly, we see our topmost passion. What does it say? You shall love the Lord with your heart, with all your heart, I'm sorry, with all your soul and with all your strength. So let's examine verse 4 first, your topmost priority. Here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, the Lord's commandments are very specific in terms of this unique concept. We know even the Ten Commandments begins with an emphasis, God as one. You shall have no other gods before me, the Lord says. So the doctrine of one God was truly a stark contrast to the theologies of the culture surrounding the Israelites' community. Because the other religious system amongst the community in which they lived served a wide variety of gods and goddesses. So the worship of only one God made the faith of the Hebrews unique in the ancient world. So let me pause here and present a question to every one of us. Who is our God? Who is our priority? Now, there are to be no other gods in our lives as believers. But is it true for us? So let us examine ourselves. In fact, we should ask our children or our spouses. What do they see to be our priority in life? Do they see us putting everything in the world ahead of God? Church, what comes ahead of God in your life is an idol. And it sends a false message to our children. So let me ask the question again, what drives our lives today? Our children need to know that no one or nothing comes before our relationship with God. I just want to warn you, church, Based on my observation and what I have seen, if we teach the children that God is just for Sundays, we are going to raise a generation of infidels. That's what's going to happen. Today we live in a society, we are still immersed in polytheism. What does that mean? It means believing in many gods. Admit or not, in many ways, we too are like the first century people of the Greco-Roman world, immersed in polytheism in one way or the other. We only prioritize the things that bring prosperity to us, the things that bring some benefits to us. We have to be honest with ourselves. Are we putting our personal relationship with God first in every situation? Or are we allowing other aspects of our lives to come before the worship of the true God. There are great biblical examples that we can find if you take the case of Peter, James, John, and Andrew, whom Christ called to become disciples, had their priorities right. We read in the, in the scriptures, in the Luke and narrative, so 
when they, that is Peter, James and John and Andrew, when they heard, brought their boats to land, for they forsook all and followed him. But many of us identify with the folks in Acts chapter 14. We are doing a series of study uh, from the book of Acts right now. Acts 14 we read, there was Paul and Barnabas, they preached and they performed a lot of miracles at Lystra, in a place called Lystra. I want you to see the reaction of the people. Look at the screen. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lycanian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They were steeped in polytheism. That's what you're seeing here. Then they didn't stop there. Then they called Barnabas Zeus, and they Paul they called Hermas because he was the chief speaker. Hermas and Zeus were two gods in Greek pantheon. So let me ask a question. Who are our Zeus and Hermeses in our lives? Is it our jobs? Is it our friends? Is it our families? Is it our fun times? Is it our fellowship with pagans? Who are our Zeus and Hermes? Now there are other biblical examples that we find. Who, had, who did not have their priorities right, who actually rejected Christ's offer, a great opportunity to become disciples. We read that in Luke chapter 9. When Jesus called them to follow, they came up with different excuses. One person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So a church for one... Apparently, the physical comfort and prosperity were of greater importance. For others, taking care of family matters was more crucial than supporting Christ in preaching the gospel. But I want you to remember God's warning and His words. Look at the screen now. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, here's what the Bible says. No one having put his hand to the plow... Looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this verse stays very near and dear to me. As a pastor, when you have said yes to the ministry, there is no turning back. But I want to tell you, church, it's not only for the workers. It is to every believer. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So once we have set following Christ as our top priority, there is no going back. No other God can come in to take your eyes off the only true God. Let me repeat that. No other God can come in to take your eyes off the only true God. He should become our priority. He alone is God. Lord, your God is one. Church, Yes, in many ways, we too are like the men of Lystra. Though we openly confess to this God of the Bible, but if we are to examine ourselves and our priorities in life, they truly reveal that we are, we too are immersed in polytheism, leaning on many gods of this world. And you may ask me, how can you say this, Pastor? There was one pastor who said this, one preacher said this, show me your checkbook. 
and your diary, and I'll tell you what you worship most. Where do you spend your time and treasure most? Church, sadly, we run to God when we need. We treat him like a genie or a Santa Claus. When the doctor calls after blood works, when you lose your job, when your child rebels against you, when your spouse abuses you, when you are looking for a life partner for your child, when your car breaks down and the list can go on, it's then that you need God. Listen, church, then you become a monotheist, trusting only in Yahweh. Then the men and the women of the God in the church and around you, they'll bombard heaven with prayers on your behalf. And then your issues are resolved. Now what happens to you? You return to your normal life. Until next time, you are stricken by a plague of some sort. You have selective memory and you will not acknowledge what God has done. You begin to believe in the lie. I did it. I deserved it. I found it. It's all my effort. Your need is met and you don't need the Lord anymore. You become all of a sudden back as a polytheist, believing in many gods. The story is told of a farmer desperately wanted to purchase a plot of land next to the church, which was full of shrubs and bushes. So day after day, this farmer came to the church and asked the pastor to pray. And so the pastor prayed, the congregation prayed, and finally he managed to purchase the land. He cleaned up and built a beautiful mansion in that plot of land. So when the pastor saw that, he said, see what the Lord has done to you. You know what the farmer said? You're right. You should have seen when the Lord had it. That's what, the, that's what the farmer said. Yes, we have selective memories that would reveal certainly our priorities. Church, your relationship with the Lord is comparable to marriage relationship. In a marriage relationship where the, where the one leaves to cleave with the other and the two become one, and that day forward it is no longer two but one. This unity is the foundation for a healthy marriage, isn't it? Every one of us know. Your spouse becomes your priority. This commitment is the one that drives your married life, that impacts every action, every decision, every step, every day, every moment, because it's a lifelong commitment. The commitment carries you through the hard times when the feelings made may fade. When the commitment is not honored, church, the problems creep in, into your marriage. It's a heyday for the devil. It's when you take your eyes off your spouse and pick someone else, the rest is history. Those of us who are married can vouch for it. The same is true with God. He is our priority. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. Indeed, isn't it? But it is intertwined with intense feelings of passion. It is not only just commitment, there is passion, there is love. But if there are never any feelings of love, your marriage is in trouble. And that is what we are seeing in verse number 5, as we look at this. You shall love the Lord with your heart, with all, with all your 
heart with all your soul and with all your strength. So what is the Lord telling the children of Israel? He says, in verse number 4, He said, When you set me as the priority, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If so, the Lord says, that it would be revealed in the way you love me. What and who is your passion? That's what you see in verse number 5. So you might ask the question, Pastor, why should I love him? I see the command. I see why God is asking us. But I, help me understand, why should I love him? Let me give you five reasons why you should love the Lord. Simple reasons. You love him first because he loved you first. You love him because he loved you first. The Bible says God showed his love toward us first. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 But we do not deserve that love, church. Why? Because we were consumed in sin. But what did the Lord do? Look at the Bible here. It says that, but God demonstrates his own love. He demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, meaning that when we don't deserve anything, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Though we were sinners destined for destruction, yet he loved us. So we love him because he loved him first. Secondly, you love him because his love is so, so precious, beyond measure. We can truthfully say that there is not a being in the universe, not a single being in the universe, including Jesus Christ, whom God loves more than us. Let me repeat that statement. We can truthfully say that there is not a being in the universe, including the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God loves more than us. Now, God loves us at the same incredible, beyond our comprehension level. God loves us as much as He loves His own Son. Because this is what the Lord Jesus said. Look at this passage here. And that the world may know that you have sent me and I loved, me, loved them as you have loved me. The Lord Jesus himself says, And that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Such precious is his love for us. So thirdly, you love him because he gave us eternal life. Church, we all know the passage of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that passage very well. It is one thing to know that God loves the world. You might ask the question, how about me? Yes, I am part of the world. But we are thankful that God loves every one of us individually. Look at what Paul says here in Galatians 2.20. He personalized that love. He says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. So when you say God loved the world, He loved every one of us. 
Yes, this eternal life is for me. That's his expression of love. Fourthly, you love him because his love is inseparable. I know we have love from people, friends, families. And when the crisis comes, sometimes the love is questionable. I'm sure every one of us have experienced at some point. No matter what you are going through, church, nothing will ever separate you from God's love. Nothing will ever stop God from loving you. Look at this passage in the book of Romans. Paul writes, For I am persuaded neither death nor life, no angels, no principalities, no powers, no things present, no things to come, no height, no depth, uh, no any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As you read this church, you must get goosebumps, isn't it? Why do I deserve this? His love is inseparable. Our friends will abandon us. Our family can abandon us. But he will not. Inseparable. And fifthly, you love him because he has commanded us to do. Now the very same passage we are looking at in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Matthew, we see that the Lord was, was, was going and there was a religious leader who wanted to trap him and who wanted to test him and he came and asked the question teacher which is the great commandment in the law and the Lord gave a beautiful response and you see that in Matthew 22 he says you shall love the Lord with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the first and the great commandment and the second is like this and he went on to talk about you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets if I'm to put this very loosely, church, is this. As if the Lord is saying, fellas, listen. Instead of trying to focus on all these rules, try this out. Just love God. Instead of trying to figure out the true understanding of what the eschatology means, as to whether we are going to have the rapture before or after, Instead of trying to figure all these things out, he says, primary important thing for you, love me. That's what the law says. That's what you're learning here. So you ask, why should I love the Lord? What should be a, what should be a passion? You love him, church, because he loved you first. You love him because his love is so precious. You love him because he gives us eternal life. You love him because his love is inseparable. You love him because he has commanded us to do. So church, stop that pity party. Stop complaining. Stop whining. The Lord of the universe loves you. So there is no more poor me. I am alone. Stop it. Now you ask the question, Pastor, now I understand why I should love him, but how do I love him? How do I love him? I want to just give you three things as to how you should love the Lord. Loving God means keeping your passion for God alive. To love God, it will take more than those religious acts. Because in this passage that we heard is very clear, we have to love him not only with our hearts and our mind and our soul, we have to love him with all our strength. That's what you are seeing in Deuteronomy chapter 6. What you love most is what you seek after. 
Let me repeat that. What you love most is what you seek after. That's why David says in Psalm 63, earnestly I seek after God. So I want to see how to love him by examining just a few verses from Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is an emotional psalm. We have done it many times in our studies. Coming out of the depths of David's life. So the first thing, loving God means, let me make a statement and explain to you, means to have an intimate, personal relationship with God. Loving God means to have an intimate, personal relationship with God. Look at Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. David knew God in an intimate, personal way. He is not saying, oh God, you are the God of the Bible. He is not saying, God, you are the God of Israel's. He is not saying, you are the God of Abraham, Joseph and Isaac. He is saying, you are my God. We all know Psalm 23. Now in that Psalm, David starts by saying, the Lord is what? My shepherd. He is my owner, my manager. That is my God. It is as if with pride, David is saying, look who my boss is. Who my shepherd is. What David implies here is that he chose me. He bought me. He calls me by name. He makes me his own. He delights in taking care of me. That's what David means when he says, he, or oh Lord, you are my God. Now, church, over the past few months, I was very much interested in following the American elections. I came to know a lot about Biden, uh, President Biden through news articles and books and CNN. I learned a lot about his personality, about his personal habits, his likes and dislikes, about his family life and the tragedies that he's experienced. I know about him, but do I know him? Absolutely not. I don't know him, but I know about him. Knowing him personally is different from knowing about him. To know him, if I really want to know him, it requires an introduction or an occasion to meet him in person, isn't it? It requires then spending hours with him and speaking to him and interacting with him and, and over a long period of time in many situations, I need to be spending time with him. As the relationship develops, I would begin to discover more and more about him. Not from an academic point of view, but in a very personal, intimate point of view as a close friend. Church, that's how it must be with God. If you really love Him, there must have been a time when you have met Him personally. How? It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we meet Him. Your introduction to God comes when you turn from your sin to God and you trust in Jesus Christ and His death and on your behalf and that He gives you eternal life as a free gift. So let me ask you a question. Have you been introduced to God? Have you had that introduction in your life? 
And once you have had that introduction in your life, then you must develop your relationship by spending time with your new friend, a new found friend, through the weeks and months and years in a variety of situations. Church, loving God means that you are seeking to develop an intimate, personal relationship with, the, with, the, with God. So first, when you are in love, what do you do? I know growing up in our days, I'm sure Brother Vianney and others can vouch for this, we write love letters. I know today you all use the, the, the phones and you, you, you have various other modes of communication. Growing up, all we do is write letters. And I write to my, my girlfriend, and then she's my wife, trust me, but, and then she writes back to me. It's a two-way communication. It is through this communication we get to know each other and we allow the love to grow. When I was young, I, I still remember, I get her letters on a Wednesday morning, mornings. So I come home from work to my house in Colombo looking for this letter and there are days I have ran after the postman just to make sure that I don't miss these letters. That was the medium of love. So how do you send love letters to God? How do you do that? How do you communicate with God? Of course, through prayers. Through praise and penitence and petitions are your love letters to God. Those are the love letters to God. And what is the love letters from God? It is the word of God that the Lord has given. The Holy Spirit that has been deposited in the believers. The scriptures are his letters to you. So let me ask you, church, how intimate are you in communicating with God? Or are you someone who does it by proxy? Sadly, many do that by proxy today, the relationship. Church, will I ever get someone to write to my girlfriend or my fiancé on my behalf? Will you ever do that? But some of us do that with God. Can you please pray for me, pastor? Oh, there's a healing pastor, a miracle worker. Let me go to him. I don't have time to read the Bible, but I read daily bread every day, very religiously. Isn't that enough, pastor? Church, is your relationship with God is by proxy. And answer this question, will this build an intimate relationship with God? Church, relationships are commanded and not demanded. I cannot stand here and say, I'm a pastor of the church, therefore you have a relationship with me. My relationship has got to be commanded by the way I show my love in tangible ways. So the first way to love God or loving God means to have an intimate relationship with Him. Secondly, loving God means always to desire more of Him. Always to desire more of Him. Look at this verse again. What you're seeing there. Oh God, you are my God. And He says, Early I, will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Didn't David have the Lord? Of course he did. We all know that. Of course he did. 
because he calls him my God. But he wanted more. That's what you're seeing here. It's not only he had the relationship, but he wanted more. He, was, he wanted to go deeper. And later on, you'll find in verse number 5, he was satisfied. That's what the Bible says. But he wasn't truly satisfied. He wanted more. He knew that there was more and his whole being craved it as the thirsty man in the desert. Craving for water. To love means to go after God with an intense desire. The story is told of a young man ran after Socrates and calling, Socrates, Socrates, can I be your disciple? And Socrates ignored him and walked out into the water. The man followed him and repeated the question. So Socrates turned and without a word grabbed the young man and dunked him under the water and held him down until he knew that he couldn't take it any longer. The man came up gasping for air. And Socrates replied, When you desire the truth as much as, as, much as you seek air, you can be my disciple. The desire for God should be like that. One theologian, A.W. Tosa, in his devotional, he says, on how much do you desire to know God, this is what he writes, come near to the holy men and women of the past or of the present, and you will soon feel the heat of their love for God. Because they mourned for God, they prayed and they wrestled and they sought for Him day and night in season and out of season. You can see the fragrance of Jesus emitting from them. Wow, you'll get a glimpse of what loving God means, longing for God means, desiring for God means. And I have seen such men and women of God in my own life. Do you think you can love Him enough? Tosa says this, Complacency or satisfaction is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. If you say, no, I love him enough, that is a deadly foe for your spiritual growth. You can never, ever love him enough. Church, if you think that you have reached a level of maturity in your Christian life, when you can put in a neutral gear and start to cruise at that level, you are in trouble. That is what sanctification means. You keep growing and growing and growing and growing until the day the Lord calls you home. Anything that is alive will grow. That's the only way you know that something is alive. And if you are alive, we need to grow. We cannot be stagnant and say we have reached it. David had walked with God for years but he thirsted for more. He desired more of him. Church is not only just David. As you read through the psalm, there are many other psalmists. Psalm writers, they have said this. In Psalm 73, verse 25, it says, the psalmist says, whom, ha whom have I in heaven but you, O God? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. Look at this psalm, Psalm 84, 2. My soul, psalm is right, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sink for joy to the living God. The psalmist has a constant longing for God and for his courts and his meaning the kingdom of God. Is that your longing, church? Do you long to be in the kingdom of God? Don't you thirst and hunger for God? 
Don't you have a longing for Him and His appearance? I believe that every Christian should have the same hunger and thirst for God and a deep sense of longing for Him when we can finally enter our eternal rest. I was talking to a brother this morning and he said, he was talking to a new immigrant and they and, and asked him, where do you want to go at the end of your life? Do you want to go to heaven? And the person said, yes. And he turned back and asked that person, how much preparation did you do to come to Canada? And that person has replied that I've done lots of preparations. The question is, what preparations are you making to go to heaven? The desire for God to be with Him. That is what we need. In the good old days, I still remember as a, as a, as a, as a person in my early 20s, I used to go home from Colombo to, to all the way to the northern part for, a, for the weekend. I normally arrive at 4.45 a.m. That's the time that the train goes and stops at the station close by. And I, and I walk to my house and I see that the house was lit. My dad was there. My sisters were there. My mom is there. And my dad will receive me with hugs and kisses and bring me coffee. My sisters will come and just cling on to me. And the time will soon come. I go for two days and for me to leave. And I see the, the desire for more of me was, I could see that in the eyes of my sisters and my family, they will not, even while I'm there for three days in the house, they will never allow me to go and see my friends. You are here for three days, just stay, spend the time with me, with us. You can always see your friends later. And when the time come for me to leave, they started countdown, when I coming again? And the countdown starts on that day. Because they want to be in my presence. I want you to note one thing, church. There was no material gain for them. It was the love. Desiring. Driven by love. Desiring to spend that time. That's what desiring more of him means. So the loving God, there are three things I want to talk to you. The first thing was having an intimate relationship with him. Second thing is to desire more. And the last thing is to pursue Him alone to fulfill the vacuum in your life. Going back to the elections that we witnessed last week, the changeover of the new government, we just witnessed how the former president, who was one day the leader of the most powerful nation on earth, the next day he flew off into nothingness and disgrace. We may think he deserved what happened to him. We could still identify with the emptiness, the shame, and the wave of depression which must have enveloped him. Think about it for a moment. What would fill that vacuum in his life? Think about this. What do you think would fill that vacuum in his life? Being re-elected to the office? Returning to the White House? Regaining the pump and the power? What would fill that vacuum? Well, I cannot speak for him. We see a biblical character in, in a similar defeat. Somewhat, I would say. See how he reacted. I'm talking about David. He has fled from the throne. He left his possessions and his wives behind him. His own son, whom he loved, was attempting to kill him. And yet in all this, what was he seeking? What was David seeking? 
David wasn't seeking for any of those things to fill the vacuum in his life. He wasn't praying, oh God, give me my wife's back. Or give me my palace back. Give me my throne back. Give me my kingdom back. That was not his prayer. But rather, this was his prayer. Oh God, I will seek you. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. Your love is better than life. What amazing statements that is. That is someone who loves God truly. The fact is, it's easy to fill your life with the things other than God, church. Easy. When we are specially stricken by trials, when we feel threatened, when we are faced with danger, how do we fill the vacuum of our lives? Some fill the vacuum with alcohol and drugs. Some fill the vacuum with walk and work and workouts. Some fill the vacuum with indulgence and parties. And some fill the vacuum with, with maybe with good things, and, but they are not of God. Yet God alone can satisfy your soul. But we should not try to fill the vacuum in with our own people, but only with God who can bring that satisfaction. Again, going back to my own life, in my early 20s, I met with a near-fatal near motorbike accident. I was rushed to the emergency. With a fractured ankle and bruised shoulders, I was taken into the theater. And all I needed at that time, church, was I wanted to talk to my dad who was 300 miles away from me. When the doctors and the surgeons were around me and they wanted to desperately do the surgery on me, I refused to be anesthetized, anesthetized in the operating room till I was allowed to speak to my dad. And they, they did. They brought the phone those days, the land phone, and they made me speak to my dad. I know today that my dad was just a mere man. I know now there is nothing that he could do differently. But at that moment, that vacuum could only be filled by my father because it was for the love that I have for him. It drove me to ask for him and him alone. Church, how much more should we seek our heavenly father to fill the vacuum in our lives? On the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord says this. Look at this. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? The Lord is exhorting us to know what should fill our vacuum in our lives. He says, we are of more value than that of the birds of the air. He, charging, he charges us to seek first the kingdom of God in His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So how much more should we seek our Heavenly Father to fill our vacuum church? God alone can do that. So to love Him means to pursue Him, to fill that God-shaped vacuum in our lives. So in closing, may our homes be called the house of love or house of passion. Loving God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your strengths and you love him because he first loved you you love him because his love is so precious you love him because he gives us eternal life you love him because his love is inseparable you love him because he commands us to do that and loving god means there are three things i spoke about to have an intimate personal relationship with him church if you don't have a personal relationship with him there is no way that you are going to love him and if you have that you must always desire more of him you must always desire more of him and once you come to that level in every situation in your life that vacuum that is created by the trials of this world should only be filled by this god that is what loving god means can i ask the worship team to come and let me lead you in a time of prayer let's pray together heavenly father we thank you for this day we thank you that as a body of believers we could come and and we can be encouraged by these words and as we see these these promises that you have given to the children of god as they were about to possess their new land father that we too can personalize these promises and we, and we can truly uh, uh, encourage today to know that we need to love you because you first loved us we need to love you because your love is so precious we need to love you because you have given us eternal life we need to love you because your love is inseparable we need to love you because you have commanded us so i pray in jesus name all of us who are watching today that every one of us will have that intimate personal relationship with you we pray oh god in jesus name if there is one amongst us who does not know you may this be the day oh god that will seek you to find you we pray that once we have that intimate relationship with you that we'll have desire to have more of you in our lives that when we have that desire that will lead us to fill the vacuums of our life oh god with you and you alone so help us and be with us in jesus name we pray amen and amen